Welcome to the podcast. I'm Joanna Colbert, and you're listening to The Casting Session. I decided to create this podcast out of a desire to help actors feel more confident in their auditions. This podcast is an inside look at filmmaking through the perspective of casting. In these interviews, I'm going to provide you with in-depth, enlightening, fun conversations with the industry's top casting directors, actors, directors, and producers. We're going to cover a range of topics like the audition process and the role casting plays in the collaboration with directors and the overall craft of casting. Basically, we're giving you a behind the scenes look into the casting process. So without further ado, I bring you the casting session. Welcome to the Casting Session podcast. I am so excited to introduce you to my guest today. They are friends of mine and extraordinarily talented human beings. We have Phil Lamar with us today. We have Jordan Black with us today. And get to my name, get to my name, get to my name. Anthony Williams. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I am going to tell on both Phil and Joanna because before we started rolling, Phil, you admitted that she was a friend of Black people before she even needed to be. That's a hard list to get on, too. I know. And I've asked for a copy of that list. (laughs) So kudos, Joanna. It's not the Black list. That's something different. No, that's something totally different. It's the Black friend list? Well, we know each other. Well, Phil and I know each other, as I mentioned, from the mid-90s. So that's a whole separate list. But um, the group and I know each other from the Black version, the most incredible improv comedy thing going. Have you guys been doing the Black version, by the way? We have not. My feeling was our show really works well with a live audience and a live theater. We have a band. It's like such a production. I just felt like it would be a letdown to do it less than at its best. Yeah, the Zoom version of the Black version might not be up to up to Jordan's standards. They say that, but what neither of them knows, nor the other members, I have been secretly doing live Black version shows. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> If I'm doing them behind the Groundlings Theater somewhere between 3.45 and 4.15 every day. Literally every day. But, but not not online, just you standing back there. Me back there, getting suggestions from whoever's back there at that time. That explains the very specific spike in COVID cases behind the Groundlings behind Theater. Behind the Groundlings yeah, yeah. And yeah, it explains why all the homeless people on Melrose are really mad. Yeah, but I keep saying to them, give me an occupation. And they're like, that's not nice. (laughs) Give me a place you live. That's not nice. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, will you be uh, putting that on Instagram so people can find you? Yeah, yeah. From now on out, I'm I'm advertising the one-man black version (laughs) behind the Groundling shows. All right. Well, then you all being on this podcast is second best. I would love to do what we do on this pod, which is talk about or geek out about the audition process. So who wants to talk about that first? Any great audition experiences you want to share? Any perspectives on auditioning you want to share? We talk a lot about how auditioning is different from acting. It's a separate skill. I can say this before I even talk about any great auditioning, what what I dislike, and I'm not a man who dislikes a lot of things in life. I'm pretty simple-minded. What has happened during COVID, like there's a lot of the Zoom stuff has been very positive, but I hate self-tape auditions with a passion. 
Okay. I've turned down auditions because they're self-taped. I feel like I'm acting in a void. I, I, there's no feedback. If it were a Zoom audition, I would even feel better about it, that somebody else is there to get some kind of feedback. I genuinely hate self-tape auditions. Anyone else have a comment on self-tapes? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, the problem is what Gary just said, is that it's the lack of feedback. We're all used to standing in front of a camera. And, all, and sometimes when you're there, you don't get feedback anyway, but that's feedback. Not getting feedback is feedback from the casting person. Like means like they don't want an adjustment either because you're not getting it or because they thought you were great, you know, so you can walk away with that. But, you know, just having my wife off camera um, giving me tips isn't really helpful. In her defense, she gives really good tips. But, but she gives tips like act harder, the babies need food. Right. <laughs> it's a lot of, you expect to feed this family off of that audition? That one? <laughs> and I would go up at the end? <laughs> yeah, it's really strange because, I mean, I would have thought, you know, looking at this from outside that the self-tape auditions, for me, coming out of doing a lot of voiceover stuff where you are basically a lot of times just auditioning alone on your computer with just your lines, no, you know, bounce off, no energy. And I do fine with that. But for some reason, when it's full body acting, I can't, I can't do the, okay, it's not, I, I mean, and it's weird. I mean, regular auditioning where you have to create a character and a thing in somebody's damn office is strange and bizarre. But for some reason, I can't get over the hump with the self-tape where it's just like, this is not a performance. I can't feel it. We have talked about it a lot on the show. And a couple of casting directors said, hey, it's your chance to do as many takes as you want and get it exactly right. Does that casting director get a lot of auditions that are that are sort of like, well, if I (laughs) I took the best word from each take and cut them together. And that's one thing that I appreciate on one level is that I can, if I make a mistake, I don't have to figure out a way to just push past it. I can do another take. I do think something is lost in translation when you don't have that person in front of you that's that you can see reacting or whatever it is that is giving you information that, okay, I'm on the right track. They didn't laugh at that. So on this next joke, I'm going to make an adjustment on my own because I didn't get a laugh on the previous joke. So I feel like as actors, we want an audience. That's what we do. We like an audience. Even when you're on set, the crew is an audience, it's per- particularly with the three of us who mostly do comedy. I mean, if all the self-tape auditions were like death monologues, it might be a little easier. Oh, I just, I can't. <laughs> Even the dramatics, though, Phil, you're still getting something back from somebody you're acting with uh, on the other side of the camera, other than Jordan's wife, who is a wonderful self-tape director. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Well, but 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 also, I mean, speaking to that, there is a diminishing returns the more and more times you go over a scene, especially if it's not with another person. Because, like, if you're doing a scene with another person, you might be discovering new things with each other. You've already discovered everything about yourself. So you <laughs> definitely need somebody else that helping you discover something about you. And then just as a side note, I think that, uh, actors of a certain age are at a disadvantage because we didn't grow up with all this technology trying to figure out how to edit this thing down. Don't and... make us old just because you old. Don't do that. I said actors of a certain I'm not even talking about me. I'm a baby. I'm like, iPhones, that's for my grandmama. Mm-hmm. 
His first memory is his first memory is February of this year. That's he's that young. Oh yes. The best way to put it is I'm fetal. You're still in utero. Well, I'm old, and I'll tell you how old I am. In 1986, I interned for a summer with a casting director, a woman named Carol Dudley. Wow. And that gave me such valuable insight into showbiz because this was before I was pursuing it professionally. You know, I, this was a summer off in, in the middle of college and just seeing, you know, the reality because I mean, Carol was a smart, you know, artistic, creative person who cared about actors, but she, she was working on the dregs, creatively speaking, of television. We doing like Jake and the Fat Man, you know, like <laughs> ABC procedurals from the 80s that <laughs> nobody had any, you know, illusions about. But she was doing her best. I remember we there was a, a role for a army colonel who Jake or the Fat Man was interviewing on a golf course or something. But Carol made an effort. She brought in actors of all races. I remember there was like really this handsome black guy, this handsome Asian guy. And like, I ain't never seen a, an Asian army colonel on TV before. And Carol was just like, no, he's a great. And I looked at him and was like, wow, I believe that that guy was in the army. You know, his energy was great. And producers didn't give a shit. They cast the guy who looked like an army colonel for TV. So, Phil, what else inspired you to go into the profession from having that experience in a casting office, other than her openness, which is a great thing? And I think casting directors have a responsibility, by the way, to have that openness. But what was your... Well, the, the inspiring parts were Carol herself and seeing that there were people like that working for actors um, and also... Um, and the office was working on Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and I got to see Christopher Lloyd's contract. What was it at the time, for real? Do you remember the price that he was? Paying? It was eighty thousand dollars. Eighty thousand. Whoa! Dude, like four lines. Oh no, he had a he had a bunch of lines. Oh, I didn't see that movie because I'm too young. In his time, there hasn't been movie theaters. But he sees clips of them on TikTok. That's how he knows every movie. I had a similar experience to Phil's, but I, it wasn't. I didn't spend a summer doing. I spent one day with Joanna. I asked Joanna if I could sit in on a casting session because I wanted to get some tips, like just by watching and observing people coming in auditioning. And it was extremely helpful sitting in for one session. What I saw was all these people came in, they were all fine. Nobody was a bad actor. Nobody was terrible. They were all good. Then one guy came in and he was the guy. And he never looked at his script once. He just was in it. And he walked out. I was like, I don't know if he's getting the part, but he was the best by far. And I remember thinking, like, that's how you have to come into an audition. You got to come in just, I'm the guy. I learned a lot from that. And because um, I used to audition, and I'd, like, steal a glance on when it's the other person's line. I steal a glance because it ain't my line right now. And I realized that, that you need to be in it even then because when they're watching the tape, they're seeing you as yourself looking down at your paper. The other big, big thing that was helpful was as a television writer, I get to watch a lot of auditions. And it's the same thing. You know in a second when it's, yep, it's that guy. We, we got to do whatever we can to get that person this part. And one thing that I realized, and I always tell all actors, as younger actors, you know, I tell them that when I watch these auditions, the thing I notice is that when they look down at their page, all the energy in the room watching drops out of it. But the person who comes in is just in it and they're doing it and they're doing it and they're doing it. 
you're just, oh my God, I like that person. You know, I want them to get this part. Can we now discuss a distinction that comes up a lot? Is it preparedness or is it the getting into the essence of the character in a fully committed way? It's interesting to hear Jordan talk about being off book in that because when it's pilot season, and I, I know that John, all your audience knows what pilot season is, but for those who don't, that's when all the new shows audition. If you're a lucky actor, you will have a lot of auditions. You will not have time to learn lines for everything that you have to audition for. You simply are not. So that thing of looking down, even if you got to look down at your lines, I agree with Jordan on one thing. you got to stay with that energy of what you're doing. You do not drop out to read. That's for sure. But it's rare, like if I have a huge audition, a seven or eight page audition, and that's not the only one I have that day or the next day, then it's going to be rare that I'm going to be able to memorize all those. So to your answer, I think that spirit of that character and what that character is about and not being buried in your page. But if I got to look down for a line, I'm still going to stay in character and I'm going to get back up and make eye contact with that person I'm reading with or that casting director or whoever's standing beside that camera. To make sure that I keep that character and that energy, that energy of what I'm doing flowing. I definitely believe like be as absolutely prepared as you can, but I have no shame in glancing a look at my paper as long as I can stay in that character and stay in the game. All right, Phil Lamar. No, I would I would agree with that. I mean, it's about commitment. And you know, all of us do stage, so we know that there are times when things go wrong or off, or somebody in the audience is making a noise or whatever, and you can either stay in it or drop out of it. And in a live audition in a room is a small theatrical experience. And because the people are feeding off your energy and making their decision, I mean, I believe making their decision based on that energy. Whenever I'm like going in for like um, either callback studio or network, uh, you know, final audition, whatever it is. I never want to be the first one in and I never want to be the last one in. Because if you're the first one in, they're going like, oh, we, yeah, he, he's great. Of course he's great. They're all great. And they forget about you. And also when you're the first one in and you're good, they think it's the material. They need three or four people to come in and bomb where they're worried that they don't have a funny show. And then you come in and you're like, yeah, hire him. Because we know the show isn't funny, but he is. So now let's hire him so he'll save us. And I never like to go last because when you come in last, usually they've already cast it. They already fell in love with that fourth guy who came in. You go, here's the show. That's the guy. He's so funny because they've been hearing it all day. And so they're sick of it. So then when somebody comes in, they give a little spark. They're like, oh, yes, he's the answer. He's the one. And, and then by the time you come in last, I'm, I went to an audition once where I was waiting forever. It was for a pilot. This was years ago. Like they were keeping people in forever, like 15 minutes per person. I walk in. The EP's in the room, the cast director's in the room. The EP stands up and says, I got to get back to the stage. Wow. <laughs> Before you perform. Yeah. I'm like, oh, you already cast this part. Well, just send me, why not come on to the live and say, Jordan, we're so sorry. We booked it and we're going to, you know, I think, I think sad rules are they can't do that, but that's not really helpful when you're going to be that obvious about it. And, uh, but he left. And then the cast director read me once and I left. So I think it's, all of what we're saying, right? So it is be prepared, 100%, be professional, no excuses for anything less than that. 
but it is also having a certain agility because as Gary was saying, like, you never know, like on set, they could throw you a whole new script. You know, they could cut your part five minutes before you go. Right. So you have a certain agility, but you come prepared. And what I like to call clicking in to the character. So it's like, know who that character is. And it is a little bit like improv. It's like, okay, once you know, you've been assigned who you're going to go up there and be for that session, then everything that comes out of your mouth is through the lens of that character. So you know who the character is. So if you do go up on a line, it's okay because you're still in it. That's the essence of a good actor. And the thing is, you don't necessarily have to be a good actor to get hired. That was the, the other thing I learned in my interning days, is that you as an actor have relatively little control over all the factors that go into a casting decision. And a lot of times, casting directors don't have control. What you were just saying, Joanna, about that agility and that ability to act is absolutely necessary. Well, it's, it's necessary for a career. Because a job can land in your lap. Or when they have children on set, you know, most of them aren't actors. Most of them are trained. And if they get a rewrite, oh, damn. Okay, everybody, let's go to lunch because we got to reprogram the child. And there are some actors, bad actors, who are like that. I have learned my role. It's like, no, no, now I'm going to give you direction. I need you to take this character to a different place. And to me, what you're talking about, Joanna, that agility, it's not necessarily the thing that gets you this job. It's the thing that gets you your next job. One of my favorite to do with that in, in that realm was it was before... When I still lived in Atlanta, there was a casting director there. Uh, she's still down there, Shay Griffin. She was also a manager. But Shay would bring me in for stuff I never should have been in a room for. But she believed that I would make something of whatever it was. And one of my favorites was there was a role that was a southern white teenage girl <laughs> in this movie called, uh, it's a movie with Christina Applegate that her name just slips, slips out of my head. and. Um, she sends me, she faxes me the roll back in the day on that old thermal fax paper. And I like, I call, I think, I said, I think you sent me the wrong thing. She goes, no, you could do this. So I go into the, I'm about to go into the room. She's like, hold on. Before I went in, she's like, tells the guys, they're all Italian, the producers and director. Like, look, I know what it says on the script, but I know this guy can do this. So like, she had me audition for this role, which I got because she thought, her idea was, you're looking for an entertaining person for this role. The stuff about the sex and the color and like even the regions, like that does not matter. Watch what he, she literally said, just watch what he does. And that was it. But because she had that belief of, I'm going to bring life to this thing. And she also had the balls to put her own job on the line. Absolutely. When I talk to people about auditions, I say be off book as much as you can, but don't worry about that once you're in there. Because if they book you, they're going to give you time to memorize. They know you just got these sides yesterday or this morning. They don't care whether or not you say it word for word. They're looking for the character. They see the character. They're going to like, yeah, we can, we're going to be throwing lines at you on set anyway. Like, we're going to cut. We're going to give you a chance to say it again. We're going to push you in closer. We're going to do a series of the same line. 
they don't care whether I like, you know what? He was the best actor I've ever seen. But he said, if instead of of, and that's just unprofessional. Like, it's just not going to happen. They just want to see that you're going to be good in the role. That's right. Which brings us back to auditioning is separate from acting. Actors, remember, you're not on set. Cameras are not rolling on set. They're rolling in a teeny tiny room. And we just want to see you click into the character. We want to see your essence, your uniqueness. We want to see that you understand the material. I have a, a question for you. What is it that when you see an actor comes in and, and you go, oh, no, I need every actor to not do this. Is there one of those things or two of those things that actors do that would be helpful? Like, is there something that all actors are out there doing that you just wish they weren't doing when they walk in? Well, I personally have a big aversion to props. So Carrot Top could not come in and audition. That's why she did not cast him in Thing Elsewhere. Okay. Like what kind of props? Like cigarettes or what? Like what kind of? I have had actors come in. Some have heard this on the show. They bring literally a bag, like luggage. They bring a bag of props. For something other than a sketch audition? That's, that's bad. Oh, yeah. They'll bring, you know, a police badge or they'll bring a phone or they'll bring a cape. And in commercial auditioning, that's fine and maybe a little bit appropriate. For me personally, it's too much. I like the actor to understand this is a very pared down situation. This is a very less is more situation. Now, the wonderful Deborah Zane, who's a giant casting director, works with the likes of Spielberg loves props so for me to answer your question for me less is more less is more that's my big headline for my office and is hitting on the casting director a plus or a minus don't get me started because that has happened oh i have been choked what wait what like someone in the scene choked in a choking scene oh like they thought like i'm gonna really show you i can do this part by yes what was your response once they took their hands off your throat I left the room. I started crying, but they didn't know that. I called their agent, told them that is absolutely unacceptable. They didn't get the role, of course. I also had an associate who ended up in a uh, neck brace from an actor putting him in a headlock. What? You mean as part of their audition? Like they were like, I'm going to really commit. I'm going to really commit. Oh, my God. Okay, that's not a good actor. Right, that's an idiot. idiot. You're on a job interview. You wouldn't do that on set. Right. You're suddenly not going to do it with the casting assistant. That's another great point, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's insane. people, But it's out of desperation, you know, that people do so. I think that's more ignorance than desperation. That's somebody who just doesn't know how things work. Whatever you call it, this has definitely changed the way I audition from now on out. (laughs) (laughs) Joanna are in-person auditions going to come back or is self-tape just the law of the land now I'm praying they will and I think they will do casting directors prefer in-person auditions 100% okay that's interesting now this has taken the shaking of the hand of the casting director to a whole new level what's your thought on that I am such an advocate of actors. I'm such a friend to actors. That's a big, important part of my value system as a casting director is to make anything possible to make an actor feel comfortable. But I will say that there were times when sometimes we literally had 80 people a day 
and it was December. And I did feel a little nervous about shaking 80 hands. So that was a tough one. That was a tough one. Gary and Phil, do you guys shake hands when you walk in? Only if it, if somebody offered it first. I, I would never make that offer because I know that not everybody feels that way about a handshake, you know, or a hug. Like some people offer hugs. Like I'm, I'm only going to go with whatever they're offering. It's never my first inclination to stick my hand out to shake hands. Yeah, I'm, now that I'm thinking back on it, I don't recall making physical contact. I don't do handshakes either when I walk in unless it's offered. You know, that's another thing that feels like you're just being desperate trying to make a connection. How about be good in the role and don't worry about shaking hands? And I brought you muffins. They like the muffins, Phil. Yep. If I could tell all the actors on this podcast something, make fresh muffins. <laughs> Take them Don't in. listen to No, bakery muffins. Don't make them yourself because nobody's going to eat them. But if you get it from a bakery and then the bakery box and it's taped closed. This is literally the only place you and I differ on the industry. <laughs> I go a fresh muffin in my hand. I carry it in, in my hand, unwrapped. So they know that these hands made that. And I say, I ain't going to audition until I see you swallow the last bite of it. <laughs> I make them eat it in front of me. <laughs> I am going to ask you guys if you have a coffee or tea ritual in the morning that you would like to share? I do not. I do, I do not believe in coffee. <laughs> I don't believe coffee exists. You do or you do not? I do not. To me, coffee tastes like burnt hair smells. Mm. But have you ever tasted burnt hair? Because burnt hair tastes like coffee. <laughs> I know I know uh Gary's answer already, but I also do not drink coffee. I have found recently in the last couple of years that I really enjoy I don't have a ritual because I don't do this every day. I really enjoy a Starbucks vanilla soy latte. So you do do coffee. If I'm out like before a show or something, I'm tired, that'll give me a burst of energy and I like the taste of it. I'm glad that there's not a Starbucks near where I live. What time will you drink such a beverage? Back in the olden days, pre-pandemic days, on my way to work, uh, to the writer's room, I might stop at Starbucks if I have time and pick one up because I'm sleepy. Or, or usually right before a Black version show, I'll try to grab one to give me that little burst of energy before the show. Thank goodness Starbucks is one of our sponsors. No. <laughs> I never really drink coffee, but now I do. Like literally every morning, I get me a, and I'm a latte guy. I don't like regular coffee, really, but espresso I like. I get a soy latte pretty much every morning. Ooh, um, do you go out for it? I do. I go to my favorite coffee place here, which is M Street Coffee. I go grab a latte. And when I was, I was shooting a TV show up in, in New York, and like in New York, plenty of great coffee. In Long Island, not a lot, but I found a place called Mont. I had to find my coffee place. Like I had to find it. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And it's not even about, oh, I need to wake up. I, I When I wake up in the morning, I'm awake. I'm too awake for most people. But it is just that ritual because a good latte kind of mellows you out as well. It makes everything seem, I mean, it's a drug. Yeah, that's what I love about it too. It's a drug and you get a little buzz off of yeah, it. Yeah, get a little buzz and it can make things feel okay with the world. Where you don't end up, you know, waking up seven weeks later married to, you know, like, Taya Leone or something. <laughs> I don't know why I'm throwing Taya Leone on the bus. She never did nothing to nobody. No, she didn't. But you know what? She smells like burnt hair. 
I should have said, you don't wake up seven weeks later married to Nicolas Cage. Now, nah, he, he did yeah. something to somebody. He did something to somebody. I think, Gary, ritual is the operative word because I think ritual, also for pandemic times, ritual got many of us through, if not all of us, right? Something that we could look forward to, something that was comforting, something that was making us feel like humans. I mean, for me, my going down to Fernando, who I think is the best barista in Los Angeles, once a day got me through the pandemic. Now, where is your coffee place? Milo and Olive in Santa Monica. It's all about Fernando. We can have a battle of baristas. Oh, my God. Or maybe that'll be the next podcast. The battle of baristas? (laughs) Coffee versus? Phil, I'm sorry you won't be. I will not be on it, that one. But it's not, it is not too late because Phil, like, I don't like regular coffee. I, it's hard for me to drink it. But a good latte, I'm in. So if, here's what I'm going to do, Phil. If you sleep on your back or side, mm-hmm. and if you sleep deeply, mm-hmm. I'm going to start every night coming, just putting a little, <laughs> little, oh, little, little drop to <laughs> get used to it. God, that sounds like Jordan Peele's next horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> this truly made my day. Thank you so, so much. This was so much fun. Everyone follow Gary Anthony Williams, Phil Lamar, Jordan Black. Follow their careers. They're giants and beautiful human beings. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening today. I hope you found the episode enlightening. It's really my true desire to share a unique perspective on the casting process and help you feel more confident and inspired. The podcast is available on Anchor and Spotify. For new episode updates, you can follow the show on Instagram at The Casting Session. Please feel free to share this with your friends and write a review. And tune in next week for more behind-the-scenes gold. I'm Joanna Colbert, and I'll see you at the next casting session.